So, if if you eat a bunch of junk food and you drink a bunch of pop and you sit around just watching just mindless entertainment, you will blank. What did you say? Have a bad time? You'll have a bad time. What else? You'll have a tummy ache. You'll have no energy. Okay? You will, and then there's all the answers you fill in there, they're all bad. If you show up to work on time, and you work hard, and you're a good team player, you will... You will get promoted. You will be recognized. You will be hopefully appreciated. That's a big problem in the workplace is lack of appreciation. But you will see success. If you are kind to your spouse and loving and thoughtful to your spouse, and if you are present with your spouse when you are with your spouse, you will... Have a good day. You will be loved. You will laugh. You will be glad you did. If you're really sarcastic and condescending to former heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson, and you insult his tiger, you will probably get knocked out. Okay. Anybody know what this principle is that I'm referencing? Consequence, cause and effect. There's a scriptural principle here. It's right along those lines. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6 7 says this Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap you will reap what you sow you will reap what you sow you know this is a phrase found in the bible it originated in the bible this is an exact quote we just read the scripture from galatians but if you look up that phrase you reap what you sow there's a dictionary definition there's a wiktionary definition and then there's an urban dictionary definition all before you get to any scripture We use this as this karmic thing. that Hey, you do bad, bad's going to happen to you. You do good, good's going to happen to you. And it eliminates Jesus from the equation. It eliminates God from the equation. We make this this gangsta thing where it's like you get street justice if, you know, you do something bad. And that that may or may not happen. I don't know. I've never been a victim of street justice. But... I do know that this principle is true, and it's true for both the positive and the negative. It is. It's true in in the negative sense that we will reap what we sow, and it's true in the positive sense. It's a spiritual principle. And I'll say this, it's a spiritual principle that even goes beyond Christians. There's people that benefit from this, this principle, or that that do, that experience the consequences of this, that may or may not know Jesus. In talking about this briefly, I want to add a couple of bullet points 
to this principle. This isn't my preach. This is just the intro that's kind of going to get us going. So number one, we reap what we sow. We reap after we sow. And we reap more than we sow. We reap what we sow. We reap after we sow. And we reap more than we sow. So if you sow, we, we, we reap, number one, we reap what we sow. So if you sow wheat, guess what you're going to get? Wheat. This is, man, this isn't rocket science. Okay? This isn't rocket science. Okay? And if, if I'm like, oh, hey, you, you know, you, you know, what you doing, Farmer Marie? And she's like, I'm waiting on a harvest. And you're like, that's awesome. What are you waiting on? She's like, watermelons. And we're like, that's awesome. Farmer Marie, did you plant watermelons? I planted wheat. But you're waiting on watermelons? Yep. Now that's faith. It's also incredible naivete. We reap what we sow. If we sow wheat, we're going to we're going to get wheat. These are farming terms, right? Harvest. It's a, it's a farming term, right? So what's the harvest that is believers that we are believing God for? We're believing God for a harvest of souls. But yet, it's my experience that very few Christians are sowing the gospel. How can we expect a harvest of souls when we're not sowing the good news of Jesus Christ? That's just as ludicrous as my example of, of expecting watermelons when I've sowed seeds of wheat. So what are we supposed to plant? What is our seed? The gospel. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto salvation for all who believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So what is the seed of the gospel that I should be sowing? So Dr. Rice Brooks, author of God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2 and Man, Myth, Messiah and the movies God's Not Dead were made from his writings. He breaks down the gospel in these easy terms. So five terms. God became a man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. Three days after his death, he rose from the grave, proving that he is the Son of God. And he offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who will repent and believe. That's the gospel message. That's the gospel. That's what we share. Only God gives the growth. Only God saves. God is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. God is the soul winner. But we have a responsibility. We're responsible to imitate. We're responsible 
to sow. We're responsible to water. We're responsible to tell stories that point people to God. We're responsible to demonstrate our love and our life for God and and invite others to join us in doing so. We're responsible for that. We're responsible to sow and to water. How much do we plant? How much do we water? I'm I'm asking us to do a a self-examination of this. Evaluate. How much do you plant? How much do you sow? I love the parable of the sower. There was some frivolous sowing going on there. And, and, and the sower was never rebuked. There was just, just mass scattering of seed and it fell among all these places. It was frivolous. It wasn't structured and organized and responsible with this seed. It was, you throw as much seed as you can. And some is going to fall among, among the hard and rocky places. And some is going to fall among the thorns. And some is going to get eaten by the birds of the air. And, but some is going to land in good soil and it's going to produce a harvest. So how much do we sow? We need to have the answer of the gospel locked and loaded in our lives. All right, Kara always, locked and loaded is, you know, like a shooting term. Kara is always like, Mark, you need to do stuff like that applies to everybody. So I, I don't know. Locked and loaded might be kind of manly. You need to have the gospel like baked and sugared. I don't know. I don't know. You know, but you need to have, you know, you, you need to be prepared. You need to be thoughtful of what the gospel message is. So there's a lot of crummy stuff going on in the world. And, and there's people are quick to open the door to a discussion about God. Oh, well, you know, what good does a God do sitting up there on, you know, up in heaven doing blah, blah, blah. You know, throwing lightning bolts or judging or causing destruction or whatever. And it's really easy to go, hey, I think you might misunderstand who God is. You see, God's not some distant God up there. God actually came to earth as a man, Jesus Christ. Did you know that? God came to earth. And boom, you're off and running. He lived a life that you couldn't live, and He lived a life I couldn't live. And as crazy as it sounds, a life that was perfect, that was without sin. I can't live that. You can't live that. But see, he also died a death that you and I should die. There's a, there's a, there's a price for sin. There's a price for crime. There's a, there's a price. And Jesus Christ paid the price of sin. And, and just, we, but we should be ready, friends. Point number two, we reap after we sow. You guys, we have to plant before we harvest. We have to plant before the harvest. And the church is so bad at praying for the harvest without planting a single seed. Lord, I pray for the harvest. Lord, I pray for the harvest. Lord, I pray for the harvest. Who have you told about Jesus? Lord, I pray for the harvest. I'm not a, I'm not a sower. I'm a prayer. That prayer is not... You're a sower. You were called to be sowers. We're farmers. We're farmers and prayers. 
You guys, we don't do the work of the harvest before we do the work of the planting and the watering. And maybe one of the reasons that the church isn't seeing the harvest is because we're not doing that work. We're not doing the thing that we're responsible to do. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9 says this. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Yes, we sow, we water, that's it. That's it. We sow, we water, that's it. Don't ever let the devil tell you that you failed because you told someone about Jesus and they didn't give their life to him. That is, you're not the Savior. Don't ever let the devil say you failed when you, when you shared your faith and they said, no, no thank you, or not today, or they slammed the door in your face, or whatever extremes there are. You didn't fail because you did what you're supposed to do. You sowed, you watered. Jesus saves. You guys, we reap more than we sow. If you sow a peach seed... You don't get a peach. Right? What do you get? If you sow a peach seed, what do you get? A peach tree that has a lot of peaches, that have a lot of seeds that can be planted. That's a harvest. You plant a peach seed, you're not going to get a peach. You you plant a couple kernels of corn, you're not going to get an ear of corn, right? You're going to get a stalk of corn that has you know, five or six or seven ears of corn and hundreds of kernels so you can plant some more. We would starve if we only harvested what we planted. We would starve. I planted, well, unless you're planting watermelon seeds, which Marie wasn't. She was planting planting wheat. But maybe if you did like a watermelon seed and you got a watermelon, that could tide you over. I don't know. Here's the thing, guys. Sometimes it might feel like people aren't getting saved as a result of our sowing. Because maybe we're not seeing that. Because maybe, I mean, we're called to sow. And then someone, let's just use an example. So, Tina. So you're sowing seeds, letting Tina know about how good God is about how he's changed your life. And when she asked you, why are you so happy today? You said, I don't know. Just the joy of the Lord's in my heart. He's so good to me. So you're, you're sowing seeds and you're watering. But then there's someone else in Tina's neighborhood and they're watering. But then maybe, you know, Tina gets transferred to a job in, you know, Arizona and she's off in Arizona. And maybe after more watering and more watering and more watering and more sowing, someone in Arizona says, would you like to trust your life in Jesus Christ? What are you waiting for? He loves you. 
if you'll call upon his name and repent of your sins and turn t- towards him, he'll, he'll, he'll forgive you and give you eternal life. And then, well, tears well up in Tina's eyes and she says, I want to do that right now. And then right there in Arizona, she got saved. You were just called to plant the seed. You were just called to water. You're not called to save. Even the person who might have been the last link in that chain of salvation still didn't save her. They were just the last person the Lord used in His wooing of her unto Himself. Jesus saved her. Maybe Tina then goes back to her husband and says, something amazing happened to me today. And I got to tell you about it. And then her husband's saved. And then her husband just can't stop talking about Jesus. And he, and he starts a, a Bible study and other men are saved. And then and it's just this chain reaction. And then you know he leads one of his kids to the Lord. And that kid grows up to be an evangelist. And that evangelist leads thousands to the Lord. And all you know is, man, I'm sowing and I'm sowing and I'm sowing and I'm not seeing the harvest. Friends, the harvest is there. It's a kingdom principle. We might not see it, but we're called to sow and to water. Does anybody know who Mordecai Ham is? I'll be very impressed if anyone knows who Mordecai Ham is. It's a real name. It's not a cartoon character. At first I thought it was a cartoon character. It'd be a pig, like, you know, Porky's cousin. Mordecai Ham. Mom, you know who Mordecai Ham is? Who is Mordecai Ham? He was an evangelist. Yes? And he also, do you, do you know, he, he did a, he led a certain crusade. What's that? He led a crusade, a, a, a teens and children's crusade, and one child in this two-day crusade gave his life to the Lord, and that one child was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham has led hundreds of thousands and responsible for millions of people being saved. Mordecai Ham was just responsible to, to sow into to water. That's what we're responsible to. The title of my message is Responsible to Imitate. Responsible to Imitate Jesus. Luke 19.10 says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Are we imitating Jesus in this? Are we? Are we seeking the lost and pointing them to Jesus so that they can be saved? You guys, my goal in bringing this message today is is not to be heavy-handed, not to make anyone feel bad. It's just to get us to get off our butts and to sow and to water. Okay? That's the purpose of, of why this message is coming forth, to get us to talk about Jesus, to share Jesus. This is where God wants us to get to, and this is where we should grow to. But what about right now? What if I know that there's people out there going, Mark, I am not there right now. I'm not there yet. You took the graphic away that had the five points, and I didn't memorize it, and I didn't write it down. I'm not there. So what about me? I'm glad you asked, because I've got three simple words that are powerful words that we see in John chapter 1. 
Three simple words that brought about discipleship and salvation and followers of Jesus. And those words were this. Come and see. Come and see. John 6.44 tells us that no one can come to Jesus. Jesus says, no one can come to me except the Father draws them. So I want to give you a glimpse into how things work in the kingdom and, and among God. So the Father wills it. It's his will. The Bible says that it's God's will, but not one would perish. The Father wills it. The Son words it. He speaks it forth. He is the Word. He is the Word. John said he, he is the Word. The Word was among us in Revelation that says that he comes on a white horse and a blood, you know, a robe full of blood, and his name is the Word. Jesus words it. He speaks it. And then the Holy Spirit works it. He works it. And so as followers of Jesus and imitators of Jesus, that's why we speak things out. That's why we speak the word. Because we're imitators of Jesus and Jesus worded it. We know what the Father's will is, but we need some people to speak things forth in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ and to know what his word says and to hide his word deep in our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can be released to work it. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit will do His job, but we have to do ours. Anybody know? Anybody know who Flava Flav is? Flava Flav. Okay, Flava Flav was a member of of the hip hop, the rap band, Public Enemy. So back in the eighties, late eighties, you know they were. Well, actually, if I'm being totally honest, they were a little frightening. Like to us white folks, they just they were they were angry and they were different. They were loud and and Flava Flav was the hype man. So before Chuck D would would start rapping, and Chuck D just had the best voice. Before Chuck D would start rapping, Flava Flav would be, "Yo Chuck, they don't know what's going to hit them. Yo Chuck, they don't know what's about to come. What you about to say? Yo Chuck, tell them how it is." And he wore this big old clock around his neck because he knew what time it was. That's why he had the big clock. I'm totally serious. And and uh, he was a hype man. But he was good at it, man. He was, by the time Flavor was done, I'm like, yeah, Chuck, yeah. What are you going to say, Chuck? So Flavor Flav is probably the third best hype man ever. Number two is John the Baptist. Didn't wear the clock around the neck, but he still knew what time it was. And then number one was Jesus. See, Jesus raved about the Father. Jesus raved about the Holy Spirit. Jesus made us so excited for the coming of the Holy Spirit because he, and it wasn't just hype in the fact that something wasn't delivered. He raved. We see that John the Baptist did the same thing. He's only in Scripture for a short bit, but while he's there, he's so powerful. He's so effective, and he raved about Jesus. 
John 1.29 says this, The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all of his disciples and all of his followers and everyone who's getting baptized stops and looks and turns. Because John's like, Behold! And he starts raving about Jesus. Verse 34. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and what do you think he does again? Hype man, he starts doing it again. Behold the Lamb of God. John sees Jesus and starts proclaiming the greatness of Jesus. So check this out. The two disciples heard him say this and these two disciples followed Jesus Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them what are you seeking and they said to him rabbi which means teacher where are you staying I think they thought they were playing jeopardy because they answered a question with a question Jesus is like where are you staying where, where, you know, what are you seeking they're like where are you staying Jesus said come and see. Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed there with him that day for it is about the tenth hour. One of those two disciples was Andrew. Andrew had a brother named Simon who we better know as who? Peter. John raves about Jesus one of John's disciples, Andrew, who's hungry, who's seeking, starts following Jesus. What are you seeking? I'm seeking you. I'm seeking truth. I'm, I'm seeking healing. I'm seeking something that's real in this world. I'm, I'm seeking you, Jesus. I... He spends time with Jesus, and what does he do? He goes to his brother. I found the Messiah. I found the Messiah. Come and see. Come and see. Verse 43. Actually, let me stop. Just because I need to say it. We're supposed to do the same, guys. We, We found him. We found Jesus. We know who he is. We've been healed by Jesus. We're always being touched by Jesus. There's people in our lives that we love. Why aren't aren't we telling them, come and see? There's, you know, the comedians, Penn and Teller? They're not Christian. And and Penn uh, is a pretty strong atheist. And there's a video I saw online. And man, it just just hit me. It just slapped me across the face. Because he's sitting there talking about Christians. He was talking about one Christian that came to a show and had a Bible and gave him a Bible. And sat and after the show, and Penn sat and talked with him about Jesus. And Penn goes, "You don't know what you're getting into. I'm an atheist." And this guy goes, "No, I, I, I know, I know your reputation, but I have a Bible for you, and I just wanted to tell you, Jesus loves you." And he was so on the video. You see that he is moved by God, like he's moved that this guy took the time to tell him about Jesus. And then, then you see his countenance change because he says, "And then it occurred to me." 
why hasn't anyone that claims to love me ever been as demonstrative about Jesus as this stranger was? I've got people in my life that claim to love me and that they claim to be Christians and they've never told me what this stranger told me. So so all these Christians who say they love Jesus and say they found the answer, but yet they refuse to... and, And they believe that I'm going to hell and that all of us who are lost are going to hell. And these Christians refuse to tell people that they say they love about Jesus. And then he says, no thanks. No thanks. I want nothing to do with the religion that will sit there and believe that the lost are heading to hell. But he, but, but who refuse to do anything about it and just let them go to hell. And he's right. And he's right. Now we'll go to John 143. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Jesus found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, I I like this. Like Jesus is like complimenting the guy for his candor. I love this. He's like, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is making reference to Jacob's ladder. Jesus is making reference to an open heaven, an open heaven between us and God. And Jesus is that ladder. You ever go to Home Depot or Costco or Sam's Club or any of these really big, really big stores and you say, uh, I'm looking for this light bulb. I'm looking for this LED light bulb. They don't sit there and say, aisle 46. You know what they say? Oh, I know exactly where that is. Come with me. Come and see. I'll show it to you. That's how they're trained. To stop what they're doing and to say, come with me. I'll show you. Church, this is how we're supposed to be. We're not just supposed to point them to the direction, but we're supposed to do life with people and say, I'll walk alongside of you. I care about you. I care about your life. I'll walk with you. Come with me. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. In John 1, we see that phrase, come and see. And it's used twice. You guys, planting and watering, yes, it can be a one-time thing. 
It can be a one-time, you know, you, you, you were at the gas station and just one of those godly appointments and you never see that person again. But most of our planting and watering, it's in the lives of people that that we love and that we care about and that we want to see. We want to see them know Jesus like we know Jesus. Come and see. Let's walk together. I'll take you to him. He loves you as much as he loves me. I'll I'll take you to him. You'll see. You'll be changed just like I was changed because I know who he is. You know what? Come and see and decide for yourself. Have you guys ever been to a restaurant or ever purchased a product just because someone you trusted recommended it to you? That's the power of testimony. Well, if Mark likes to eat, and if Mark says it's good food, it's good food. Well, Dave's an expert in this, and and if Dave says this is a good product, this is a good product. The power of testimony. We need to use that, guys. We need to use our, our influence. Not in, not in some heavy-handed uh, or manipulative way, but to use our influence in the ways that God's given us to us just relationally, just with honesty and vulnerability and truthfulness. And we got to love enough to share. Remember, remember our hype men, Flava Flav, John the Baptist? John the Baptist raved about Jesus said, there he is. His followers trusted him. So his followers started following Jesus. One of them, after being with Jesus, went back and got his brother. said, brother, I love you. I found the Messiah. Come with me. He followed. Philip and Nathaniel, same thing. Friend, I care about you. Come see. John's disciples didn't start following Jesus blindly. They first needed someone to pave the way. That's what John the Baptist did. He paved the way. That's that's us now, guys. That's us. We are here to pave the way. We are here to point people to Jesus. We are here to to sow and to water and to trust God. We're here not to get discouraged if someone doesn't get saved, but to trust Jesus to be the Savior and to know that we're not the Savior. We're just the one who scatters, who plants, who waters. Do we want to see people healed up and saved and set free? Do we have people we love? Do we have friends that we just adore? That we want to see saved and free and whole. I'm not saying we should stop praying for the harvest because we shouldn't. I'm just saying we should stop praying for the harvest and doing nothing about the harvest and do our job, which is to sow and to water. Are there people in your life who trust you? 
Are there people in your life who trust you to, to shoot them straight? Man, I, I love someone honest enough to shoot me straight. Are there people in your life who trust you enough that if, if, if you saw a snake go in their back door, you'd say, everyone out of the house, I just saw a snake go in the back door. Let's go get that snake. And let's kindly, gently remove the snake from the house and set it back free into nature. Or kill it, either one. Of course we do. The answer to all these, yes, we do. Guys, we got to love them enough to tell them about Jesus. we got to love them enough to say, you know what, I don't know the words to describe who Jesus is to me, but I, I, I can tell you how I feel when I'm in His presence. I can tell you how I feel when I trusted my life in Him. I can tell you, I can tell you how I feel. I can't quote a single Bible verse. You, but, but I can tell you how I feel because of Jesus. You know what? Come and see. I promise you this. You bring your friends here, they're going to hear about Jesus. You bring your friends here, we're going to point them to Jesus and tell them how awesome He is. And at the end of the service, I'm going to say, if everyone could close their their eyes, if you've never trusted your life in Jesus and you want to, do it now. And maybe they'll get saved, and, and maybe it's not the right time. But either way, I'm just going to continue to water. You've been sowing. I'm going to sow with you. I'm going to water with you. It's teamwork, baby. Teamwork makes the dream work. We're going to do this together. So easy. Three words. Come and see. Well, isn't, isn't your church kind of small? I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Oh, isn't your church kind of radical? I hear you guys worship for 35 minutes. I'm good for 15. Come and see. Come and see. See for yourself. Doesn't doesn't your church talk about the Holy Spirit a lot? I'm not used to that. Well, just come and see. I tell you who we talk about more than the Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus. But we rave about all of them. We like the Father too. We rave about all of them. Come and see. It's easy, guys. It really is. It really should be easy. It, it's well, I don't like to talk politics and religion. Okay, well, don't talk politics, but that's and, and let's not talk religion either. To Sarah's point, let's talk Jesus. Let's talk Jesus. Come see for yourself. Come make up your own minds. Come on. Come with me. Ride with me. I'll save you a seat. That's what our cards say. I'll save you a seat. I'll pick you up. Let's grab coffee beforehand. Let's go grab some little peeps and then go to church. All right. Will you do it? Will you do it? Will you invite people to church? Will you say, come and see? Will you say, Lord, I, I, I'm not, I'm not as learned as I want to be, and my memorization skills are not as strong as they once were. But, but, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to scatter seed, and I'm going to water, because that's what you've called me to do. Will we do it, church? Let's purpose in our hearts to do it. Okay.